Welcome to the second season of Murder in 20 podcast, where I, Bobby Stevens, am your host with a new episode every Wednesday. If you're a serious fan of true crime and love listening to podcasts, but don't want all that small talk, you've come to the right place. We get right to the facts. Murder in 20 episodes are concise and complete in 20 minutes. Less talk and more true crime. Be sure to like, share, and follow us to learn about upcoming episodes every Wednesday. Thanks for tuning in. Skyscrapers reach toward the sky in Calgary. Surrounded by the Rocky Mountains, but is best known for the Calgary Stampede, a large rodeo held every summer with a dress code as casual, with jeans, boots, and a cowboy hat. In 1999, its population was around 800,000. Deborah Point grew up in Calgary, attended high school, and was active in sports. Within the gay community, she went by the nickname Chris. She worked at the Rocky View Hospital as a porter and spent her paychecks on gambling. 3,000 miles away, Audrey Trudeau grew up in Marmoro, Ontario, a small town with only a couple thousand residents. She belonged to a large family with 11 brothers and sisters. She attended university in Toronto and became a physiotherapist. With the divorce behind her, she moved to Calgary, where she settled into a job at Rocky View Hospital. Audrey made friends with her co-workers, including Deb. Audrey was happy in Calgary and purchased a condo that she shared with her 10-year-old cat, Missy. She was very financially responsible, and although she didn't drink, she did enjoy going out with friends after work and sharing a meal and a laugh. In 1997, Deb's gambling addiction landed her in a serious debt, and her parents took out a second mortgage on their house to bail out their daughter. But Deb didn't stop gambling. Two years later, when she and her partner broke up, Deb was 38, alone, and in debt again, to the tune of $8,000. Audrey had known Deb for over a decade and felt sorry for her co-worker and offered her a place to stay at her condo. But it wasn't long before Deb's financial problems became Audrey's financial problems. Audrey suspected she was stealing money from her purse, but Deb had a temper, and she didn't want to confront her. Things quickly turned ugly between the two new roommates when Deb stole 13 blank checks from Audrey. She forged her signature and made them out for various amounts and cashed them. When Audrey discovered Deb had stolen $5,000 from her, she was livid and demanded she move out. Over the years, Audrey had remained close with her family, most of whom were in Ontario. 
She was missing them, and in February, decided it was time to move back home. It didn't take her long. She found a job in Kitchener and was scheduled to start March 15th. Audrey contacted a realtor and listed her condo for sale. She was excited about the move, and quite frankly, she didn't care what Deb thought. Audrey would be taking her cat Missy with her and began taking her on rides to get her used to it. A week before her move, she also visited a vet and picked up tranquilizers for moving day. February 25th, 1999 was a Thursday night and Audrey's regular bowling night with the league. She showed up as usual and was in a good mood. She let her teammates know that next week would be her last time. She was in a hurry to get home that night and left around 8.30 p.m. Meanwhile, Deb had gone to a karaoke bar where she sometimes liked to sing. She pounded back the drinks and seemed upset. She told one of the patrons that she was waiting for Audrey. But Audrey never showed up. And Deb left the bar, drunk and angry. Audrey arrived home at her condo. Deb hadn't moved out yet, and the air was thick with tension. It's not known exactly what happened, but it's thought that the two women got into a heated argument in the dining room. Perhaps Audrey wasn't interested in a confrontation and turned to walk away. But Deb couldn't let it go. She raised a heavy object, perhaps a claw hammer, and brought it down hard on Audrey's head. Audrey raised her arm in self-defense, but she was no match for Deb. Using all her force, she hit Audrey again and again, at least 15 times, crushing her skull. Blood splattered onto the walls and saturated the carpet. Deb's anger was out of control. Audrey was dead at 45. Deb dragged her roommate's body down the hall and down the stairs to the laundry room in the basement. From Audrey's finger, she removed her sapphire diamond ring, then spent hours dismembering her body. Diabolical Deb cleaned herself up in the bathroom and went to bed. At 4.45 a.m. the next morning, Deb called the hospital and left a voicemail that Audrey had a family emergency and wouldn't be in. Then a few hours later, she called the hospital again and left a message saying she was ill and wouldn't be in to work. That afternoon, Deb forged another of Audrey's checks, made it out to herself, 
and cashed it. That night, Deb went out to dinner in a movie with her friend Bonnie. For three days, Audrey's body lay in the basement, waiting. Deb knew she had to get rid of it fast. What if a buyer wanted to look at the condo? Deb placed Audrey's head and torso into a garbage bag, added mothballs, then placed it in a second bag, then a third. She grabbed an empty packing box and placed her body into it and tightly sealed it with duct tape. Then she opened a second box and put the rest of Audrey's remains in another bag and repeated it. She grabbed a third box and threw Audrey's comforter from her bed and some clothes into a bag and sealed the box. Deb had been working on the roof of her friend Paula's garage for some extra cash and had access to the garage. So she called Paula and asked if she could store a few things. Deb wrote her nickname Chris on the boxes and called her friend Kate to help her move them. Kate borrowed Paula's truck and arrived at the condo. She noticed three boxes with Chris's name on them and that two were heavily duct taped and asked about them. Deb responded that they were computer equipment and she wanted to keep them safe. Kate was recovering from an injury and couldn't do any heavy lifting and two of those boxes were very heavy. So she picked the lightest box while Deb moved the other two using a wheel dolly. But as Deb was heading down the hill to the truck, she started to lose control. She managed to regain control of the dolly, slowed it down, and got the boxes loaded onto the truck. Paula's two-story bungalow was on the corner of 33rd Avenue Southwest and 16th Street Southwest. The two-car garage was detached from the house and at the back of the property. It was accessed from the side street and was bordered by a back lane. The perfect place to hide a body. Paula's son Brad also had boxes stored in the garage. Deb walked past his and placed her boxes behind them. A week later, Deb called Audrey's realtor and told him that something had been spilled on the dining room carpet and that she had to remove it and asked to borrow money to replace it. When Audrey's family couldn't reach her and she didn't return their phone messages, they became extremely worried. It wasn't like their sister to not be in contact. They'd been expecting Audrey to update them on her travel plans to Ontario. Deb told Audrey's sister Fran that she had taken a trip to BC to visit friends before her move. The Fran thought that was odd. Audrey hadn't said anything to her family about a trip, and they couldn't think of anyone she knew in BC that she'd be visiting. On March 11th, her brother John reported her missing. Audrey 
had disappeared without a trace. Audrey's roommate Deb was the last one to see her, and police investigators from missing persons wanted to speak with her. She told them the same story, that Audrey came home from bowling that night and left for a vacation in B.C. The police thought it odd that Audrey hadn't taken her car. Deb gave them permission to look around the condo, and as they took photos, they noticed the carpet was missing in the dining room. Police checked Audrey's bank account. She hadn't accessed it since the day she disappeared. The clues were stacking up. Police grew suspicious and seized Audrey's car. Forensic investigators arrived at Audrey's condo, looking for any suspicious evidence on the surface, but they found nothing to indicate foul play. Then, in an odd move, Deb told investigators that the day before Audrey disappeared, she gave her cat away to a woman named Lillian. Deb claimed that Audrey had arranged it, and when Lillian showed up, Deb removed Mrs. Collar and handed her over. But interestingly, Deb couldn't recall what Lillian looked like. Police began a search for the elusive Lillian. But Audrey's family knew she loved her cat and had planned on taking her with her. They held out hope that Audrey would be found alive, but their hopes were starting to dim. On Thursday, March 18th, Audrey had been missing for three weeks. Police brought Deb in for questioning and drilled her about the missing carpet. She told the story of how Audrey had spilled hair dye on it and was concerned it would affect the sale of her condo. So the day before she disappeared, she and Audrey removed it. A day later, in an interview with the Calgary Herald, Audrey's older sister friend said, I fear her life is gone from us. And Audrey's friend Marianne knew she wouldn't leave town without telling someone. She sensed something was terribly wrong. A week later, police formed a task force with members from the Missing Persons Bureau general investigations, and homicide, and interviewed over 40 people. They knocked on doors in the neighborhood, asking if anyone had seen Audrey or the missing piece of carpet. No one saw anything. At the end of March, Audrey's sister Fran traveled from her home in the Yukon to Calgary to pack up her sister's condo. It would be leased until Audrey was found. Deb was still staying there and handed Fran, Audrey's sapphire and diamond ring and claimed that Audrey had given it to her for safekeeping. Fran knew Audrey would never have left her ring with anyone. She never took it off. Fran became resigned to never seeing her sister alive again, 
and turned the ring over to police. Police interviewed Deb a second time on March 31st. The Edmonton Journal described how this time they accused her of being angry when Audrey told her she was going to Ontario alone and that her friends and co-workers suspected she has something to do with Audrey's disappearance. Detective Dave Olson told her, You became enraged. In fact, you got so mad at her, you hit her or strangled her or something, and she collapsed in that room in the condo. I think that you did something to her that caused a great deal of injury to her. Deb replied that she would never hurt Audrey and hadn't done anything wrong. Later, police asked Deb to take a polygraph, and at first she agreed. But days later, declined, saying her lawyer had advised her against it. Deb stopped talking to police and refused their requests for interviews. In June, Deb and Paula had a falling out when Paula discovered unauthorized charges on her credit card and that two checks had been forged. The theft added up to almost $4,000 and Paula suspected Deb. She cut off contact with her and contacted police. Deb no longer had access to the garage and Audrey's body. Five months after Audrey's disappearance, it was July 21st, a warm summer evening, when three friends of Paula's son Brad arrived at the garage to pick up some of his belongings. When the friends opened the garage door, a horrible stench rushed out at them. It engulfed their senses and made them step back. They traced the foul odor to the boxes behind Brad's. Todd opened up one of the heavily taped boxes and discovered what he thought looked like a human leg. He called his friend Ryan over and he too thought it was a human body. Todd called Paula. She asked whose name was on the box He told her, Chris. Paula rushed home and took a look inside the box and called police. They arrived and an officer used a knife to open the other two boxes with Chris's name on them. He looked down at the contents and brought his hand up and covered his mouth in disbelief. Police had their suspicions about Deb, and now they had a body. The following day, police received a positive ID on the remains. Between tears, Audrey's sister Fran told the Calgary Herald, I knew she had been murdered. I just didn't know where she was. Just after 9 a.m., Deb was under surveillance. By noon, she was sitting in a bar, drinking alone. 
an undercover officer strode in, looked around, and left. Minutes later, police officers walked in and arrested Deb. She asked them repeatedly, what am I being arrested for? Deb was charged with second-degree murder. She pled not guilty. Homicide detectives scoured Audrey's residence. In August, forensic analysis using luminol found blood on chairs, the dining and bathroom walls, and a trail down the stairs to the laundry room. Detectives sent Audrey's 13 canceled checks that Deb had forged to the crime lab. The autopsy determined that each of the wounds were two to three inches long, perhaps from a claw hammer or axe. An exact time of death couldn't be determined due to the state of decomposition and the body being stored in an unheated garage during winter, spring, and summer. But the chief medical examiner felt the time was consistent with Audrey's disappearance. Deb was denied bail twice and remained in jail for 14 months until her trial began in September 2000. Eight women and four men were selected for the jury. Deb took the stand and denied killing Audrey. Prosecutor Mark Crotter suggested that $5,000 was a good motive for killing someone. But Deb disagreed and told the court that in the past, her parents had paid off over $20,000 of her gambling debts and would do it again if she needed them to. Conflicting testimony arose about the nature of Deb and Audrey's relationship. Deb said they were romantically involved and that they were moving to Ontario together, and a few witnesses supported that. The Edmonton Journal reported a co-worker at the hospital that Audrey told her she was in a relationship with Deb and that she would be following her to Ontario. However, other witnesses disputed this. Her friend and co-worker Karen said that Audrey was excited to be moving to Ontario and wasn't taking Deb. And Audrey's family denied that she was gay and stated their relationship was purely platonic. One of the boxes with Audrey's remains had the name of Rocky View Hospital on it, and police were able to trace that particular box to arriving at the hospital between February 24th and 26th, the day before and the day after Audrey was last seen. And the comforter found in one of the boxes was matched to a photograph her realtor had taken. The trial lasted seven weeks, but it only took the jury two days to come to a decision. Deb was found guilty of second-degree murder. She stared straight ahead and showed no reaction. At her sentencing hearing, she was handed 20 years in prison. The Globe and Mail reported that as she was being led from the courtroom, Deb winked at a girlfriend seated in the courtroom. In 2017, Deb was granted a one-day 
escorted temporary absence from prison, to attend a Gambler's Anonymous meeting. Audrey's family were outraged. Global News described how her sister Sheila said, She's never admitted guilt. Even today, she still says she never did it. Referring to Deb, she went on to say, Oh, you're playing the system good, aren't you? You get to play the system. My sister's dead. Be sure to tune in next Wednesday for the episode of Kirsten Costas. In high school, Bernadette was popular, but she brushed aside her high marks and dwelled on her failures. Her classmate Kirsten became a symbol for everything wrong in Bernadette's life. One night, she lured Kirsten into her car. If you're dying to hear more, Past episodes of Murder in 20 are available for free at murderin20.com and on all major podcast platforms. We love what we do and are dying to continue. If you enjoy listening to Murder in 20 every week, we'd be eternally grateful for your support by visiting Murder in 20 at Patreon, PayPal, or murderin20.com. We'd like to acknowledge Purple Planet for use of their music sound effect from Vaseline Studios and Quick Sounds, and our many editorial sources who are listed on our website. Be sure to like, share, and follow us to learn about upcoming episodes every Wednesday. Stay safe, sleep with the lights on, and don't play with strangers.